So we are going to study the life of Christ for the next four years, and uh, I'm looking forward to us growing together in Christ. Um, let me give you a little a bit about Community at Coast. We're going to be doing about 15, 20 minutes of worship, about 15, 20 minutes of the Word, pray for me, and then, no, thank you, only one person laughed at me, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, someone raised their hand. I'm laughing. Um, yes, I'm going to be faithful to my time. And then we're going to dismiss into life groups, and I will um, uh, define that in just a little while. We're going to, why don't you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. You've been given a, um, just a brief notepad so that you can take note as a student of God's word. You Wednesday nighters are the double dippers, and I knew by looking at the faces um, who would be here, and let me say how grateful I am to see all of you here. Um, we're going to start Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You also probably want to put your finger in John 14, 6. John 14, 6. And another one might be 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So once again, Ephesians 2, John 14, and then uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that as we study your word, that you would give us insight so that we might grow and become more like you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wow, Wednesday night's gonna be the happening crew. I like it. Hey, Community at Coast, why are we studying the life of Christ? It's a great, great question. Why are we gonna spend so much time going through the chronology of the life of Christ? And that's what we've done. We've pieced together Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to be putting them together. Um, a good Bible, if you would like to uh, follow the chronology of Christ, would be the Book of Hope, where they've taken the Gospels and put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all together in one fell swoop so that you can see how Jesus' uh, 58 days that were recorded are put in chronological order. But there's a question that I want to answer in regard to how, why do we study the life of Christ? Well, simply put, the desire of the disciple is to follow. The natural desire of the disciple is to follow. But disciples, are, are, they're not born. Disciples are made. They're not born. Believers are born. But disciples are made, and disciples want to follow their leader. It's just the essence of being a disciple. Now, we've been saved by grace through faith. A familiar verse, it's Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. I'll read it for you. You can read quietly in your seat. Paul's writing the church of Ephesus, and he says to them, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Once again, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Faith, this faith that we have, we believed in God for our salvation, he opened up our eyes spiritually, and we believe in God for our salvation. In fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we're going to be saved. And so that's Romans 10, 9 and 10. That's a faith for salvation. But there's another faith 
that grows in God for sanctification. And sanctification, big theological term for we grow every day to be more like Christ. And so in James chapter 2, we learn something. You can write it down in your notes. James 2, 14 through 26, we learn basically that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. That doesn't mean that we're working for our salvation. It means that we're working from our salvation. So faith without works is dead. My question then becomes, what's the work of a disciple? In Romans chapter 8, verse 30, Paul answers the question as to what is the work that we should be participating in. We have been, God foreknew us, the Bible says, and he predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son. Listen again, here's the work. To be conformed into the image of his son. Well, how does that happen? How am I conformed into the image of a son? Romans, the Bible says in verse, chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. So the way that my faith is going to grow is I'm a person of the word of God. And what Jesus said about being a person of the word of God is that, listen carefully, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. In fact, in John chapter 6, if you remember the story, he's talking to a group that are following him so that they can just eat bread. And he looked at them and he said, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, everyone freaks out and goes, is Jesus a cannibal? And he goes, no, wait a second. The words that I'm speaking to you are spiritual. And what he was saying is the same way that you hunger for bread and the same way that you thirst for drink, you need to hunger for me. And the way that you hunger for me is you are a person of the word because he is the word. In John 1, the Bible says that Jesus is the word of God. He's the word of God. He's the logos of God made flesh. And Jesus, who was made flesh, he made a comment to the disciples and he said this, follow me. Now, remember what I said earlier. The desire of a disciple is to follow the leader. And the leader, Jesus, is claiming something when he says, follow me. And either, as the famous book by Josh McDowell, he's a lunatic He's a liar or he's our Lord. Well, I believe that he's my Lord. Amen? Amen. And he makes a power statement that the church is radically impacted by in the first century. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, look at the statement that Jesus makes. This is a power statement. If it's not underlined in your Bible, it should be underlined. If it's not memorized, shame on you. It was a Selah two years ago, okay? James 14, verse 6, look what Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. He says this, I am the way. Now remember, he's asking, he's answering Thomas's question there in the upper room. Please show us the way to the Father. He responds and says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known, if you'd learned, that's that word, if you'd learned me, you would have known my Father also from now on. You do know him and have seen him. Him. Listen to what he's saying. Follow me. 
I am the way. This is a power statement. And I want you to hear what he says, I am. I am is God in action. There are seven I am statements found in the Gospel of John. I am, he says, I'm God. He's declaring that he is God in action, God in the flesh. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So impactful was this statement that the first church was known not as Christians until Antioch. They were known as the way. In Acts chapter 9, 19, 22, and 24, we constantly see through the first church that this statement was so powerful that they were known as the way, the way. But there's another power statement in this. Not only does he say, I am the way, he also says in this power statement, if you had learned me, if you had known me, Now, maybe in your note, I want to direct you somewhere in two different scriptures. You can look them up later. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees after healing someone on the Sabbath. And he looks at the Pharisees and he says to them, I want you to go and learn, Matthew 9, 13, I want you to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Only a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is dealing with the disciples again, the, excuse me, the Pharisees again, and the disciples are walking through a grain field and they pluck some grain. Well, as they pluck grain, you've got pop-up Pharisee that comes out of the field and they start accusing the disciples of working on the Sabbath simply for eating the grain. And Jesus says a power statement. He says this, if you had learned I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would know it's no big deal what they're doing. Now, that was the Chet version of the last portion, but understand, he said in nine, I want you to go and learn something. In Matthew chapter 12, he said, if you would have learned. Well, there's the answer as to why we're gonna study the life of Christ. We need to take the time to learn Matthew 9, he directs, go and learn. We need to take the time to learn all about Christ so we don't miss any truth about this life. Because if he's the way, the truth, and the life, then his life is the best way to do life. And let me explain something. His life is so different than our own. How many of you naturally would go the second mile when someone has forced you to go one? And how many of you naturally would turn the other cheek when someone slaps you in one? None of us naturally do these things. His life is so different than ours. And the desire of the disciple who's been saved and born again is to follow the leader, Jesus the Christ, who says, write it down, I am the way. I am the way. Now, this is an important word. This word, it means road or it means a highway. In other words, what Christ is saying is, I've paved the way for you to get to God. Now, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read it for you. You can write it down. It's Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8. I will read it for you. Write it down in your notes. Listen to what the word of God says about the Messiah. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. In other words, those who don't believe. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. 
Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Now, I've heard many people say Christianity is exclusive and it's narrow-minded. They're right. And that wasn't a declaration of Chet Lowe. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, the gate is narrow and the road is difficult and few will find it. In fact, if you remember in Matthew 13, there are four seeds that are thrown and only one out of the four find those seeds. That doesn't mean we're a social club of exclusivity. No, we are to be reaching the world, but the plight of the gospel is a narrow road. Christ is the highway. And when Jesus says, I am the way, what he's saying is, I have paved the way for you to be able to get to God. I made Highway 73 for you to escape the 405, okay? I have done the 133 and the 241 so you can cut through and not hit the 91. I've paved the way for you to have an easy access to God by faith. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he calls this paving of the way the great mystery of godliness. The great mystery of godliness. And let me describe what he says. His birth, our joy. His sinless life, our example. His suffering was our healing. His death paid our debt. And his resurrection, it brought our hope and freedom. So unfathomable is this that Paul calls it the great mystery of godliness. That Jesus himself, like Hebrew says, entered into the holy place, suffered and died so that we could enter in right behind him. That's why Jesus said there is no other way. He's the way. But the beautiful thing about God is that he gives us a choice. Write this down in your notes. It's Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6. In discipleship, we have a choice about learning Christ. And in Jeremiah chapter 6, take a look with me. I'll read it for you, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, he says, Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, here's the choice, we will not walk in it. Gang, Jesus is the only true way of life. And he gives us a choice to learn his life and then live his life as the only true way to live life. That's our choice. And on the highway of life, we come to a crossroad like Jeremiah says, and he says, you've got a choice. Do you want to go my way, which is the true and the best way, or do you want to go your way? He says, I am the way. Secondly, he says this, I am the truth. I am the truth. Now, the amazing thing about this word, this word means the reality. It's the veritable essence of matter. It means the reality. So what's the reality that he offers? Well, the first is the reality of the person of God. Jesus is someone to follow because he is God. In fact, Paul wrote the church in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, he declares that Jesus is the fullness of God. That's Colossians 1.19. He's the reality of the person of God. 
In John chapter one, verse 14, John 1, 14, the Bible says that he is the fullness of grace and truth. In other words, he's the complete truth. He's the complete grace. There's nothing but the truth in Jesus. He's the only one that's been with God and he's the only one that can display God. He's the reality of the person of God. But he's also the reality of the promises of God. He's the reality of the promises of God. Now, what is the promise? Let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We got a snake talking to Eve. Now, I hate snakes, okay? If a snake came into my presence, I would run like you can't believe, okay? I, I, I've had snake issues, okay? My whole life I've had snake issues. Uh, my sons wanted a snake, we got one. When it ate its first mouse, we got rid of it. I just, it just looked like the devil. I mean, I just felt like, why would we bring the devil in our home? He already tries to enter in so many other ways. Why have a physical representation of Satan in our home? I mean, I named the snake Lucifer, okay? I mean. It, I called it Lucy when I found out it was a girl, all right? Now, here's the deal. Satan the snake, now remember, this was not foreign. The animals were in communion and communication with Adam and Eve. He named the animals. They were in conversation. So for the snake to show up and talk before the fall was not strange to Eve, nor would she be afraid of it because they were in communion. Snake comes in, communicates, and then the snake is cursed. And the promise that was given at the curse was that the, the Messiah would crush the serpent's head. Do you remember that promise? The Messiah would crush the serpent's head. That's why Eve named Cain, Cain, because Cain means I got him. In other words, you're going to crush the serpent's head. Sorry, Eve, you were wrong once, you're wrong again. I mean, Cain was messed up a little bit. But the reality of the promise is that Jesus 1 John chapter 3 came to destroy the works of the enemy. He crushed the serpent's head so much so that Paul would write in Colossians chapter 2, listen carefully, he would write in Colossians chapter 2 that he made a laughing stock of the enemy on the cross because he's the reality of the promises of God being fulfilled. He crushed the serpent's head. Death no longer has a victory because of the, the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Okay, Wednesday night, that was a little weak, but we'll go with it, okay? Now, Paul would then write, and I want to read this for you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I ask you to keep your finger in there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. I think I, I did say 1 Corinthians, sorry about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to change that in my notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, just giving you a second to turn that page. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. This is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. In other words, if Jesus said, follow me, because of his birth, death, 
burial, and resurrection, if he says to follow me, you can trust him in this life and you can trust him in the next life. He's the reality of the promises of God. But he's also the reality of the practices of God. He's the reality of the practices of God. If you remember, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, for God is love. That's 1 John 4, 7, and 8. He's the reality of the practices of God. In other words, Jesus revealed what the ultimate potential of humanity looks like. He reveals what the ultimate potential of humanity looks like by his love. And because he first loved us, he directs us to love. In fact, here's the truth. There is no other reality of God besides Jesus. He's the reality of the practices of God. And when you see the life of Jesus, you're looking at the practices of God. And so if we're to be conformed into his image, then the study of the life of Christ is so important for us so that we can learn his way and live his way. Finally, he says this. This is where we close. I am the life. Now, didn't ask you to turn here. Romans chapter 6. Go there with me if you would. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Romans 6, 11. I'll read it. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Bible says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. Here's the key. Underline this and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We were dead to God, separated from God, and Jesus came along, and because of Jesus, we've been made alive to God through Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you what alive looks like. Okay, you know that, um, that verse in Romans 1, the just shall live by faith? That word is actually a party word. It really, when you read it in the Greek, it should be the just shall live by faith. That's how you read Romans 1.17. It's a life verse. In other words, the best life is for those who live by faith. Some of you are still laughing at my dance moves. I know, I'll never go on Dancing with Stars. But the idea is that the Christian has the best life, especially the Christian who is following the way of Jesus. And Jesus made it very clear. He offers two forms of life. In John 10, he says, I can give you abundant life. In other words, in this physical life of zero dash however long, Jesus makes it very clear, true life will only be found in my life, living my life and doing my life, acting in my life. And at the end of the life of Jesus, he said something so powerful. He said, God, in his prayer, John 17, I've glorified you on earth. I did what you asked me to do. In other words, by following the life of Jesus, we're glorifying God because we're doing exactly what Jesus did of what God asked him to do. I glorified you on earth. I did what you asked me to do. I showed them the way. I showed them the truth. I showed them the life. But not only is it abundant life that he offered, he offers eternal life. You know this better than me. 
It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. And remember what I said. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if Jesus died and rose again, and he was true to that promise, you can trust in eternal life. Not just abundant life here, but you can trust in eternal life. And here's why we study Christ. When we see him face to face, oh, glory of glories. I don't know if you can even fathom the moment, right? When we see him face to face and we pass before that judgment seat, we get to lay down our crowns. And here's what our crowns are. Every action, every motive, every heart, every moment that we looked like Christ. Oh, great and glorious day when our testimony defeats the enemy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray by the grace of Jesus that you would be glorified now as we go into this next section of community at Coast. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.